Amen. Good morning. So we come to the, uh, the final day of our uh, Schaefer Conference on True Spirituality and just really struck by uh, what a privilege it is to be reminded of um, God's love, his call, to be exhorted to follow and live um, for him and really to learn more about and see more clearly who our Savior is. Um, tonight, as we close out the conference, Josh Garrels will be here in concert. Um, yeah. Doors, doors will open at doors will open at 7:15. Um, we'll have queues out front so you can come line up. 7:15. Uh, show will start at 8 o'clock. Um, and now, uh, my privilege for the last time to introduce Stephen and Belinda Bowman. Just really want to say thank you for blessing us uh, so richly. Um, friends full house again back to full house some of you had class yesterday we understand so we'll catch you up um was with a group of students last night till late and favorite part of our time here has been the conversations and the questions you know we like to ask questions and some of you like to ask questions too you especially um we were talking about racism and one of your one of your classmates said you know on the mountain, I don't experience even subtle racism. I said, wow. And then I said, uh, well, what about when you go down the mountain? Mm. And I added a few questions to that about our culture, and et cetera, et cetera. And, you know, all he could do was just sort of drop his eyes and just look down and his classmates rescued the conversation <laughs> from what could have been another hour or two. Um, you know, I, when I think about what we've experienced here, what Belinda experienced over, what, four years, I see a greenhouse, right? I see this beautiful greenhouse on a mountain. And what does a greenhouse do? Well, it's, it protects from the harsh elements. But it does that for a reason, so that plants can grow faster than they would otherwise. You don't have to fend off all the rain, and you can only take in the sunshine that you want, and the wind is, I guess the wind is sort of controlled. So there's a period of time in a greenhouse when a plant, very small, goes, if you've ever worked in this kind of world, some of you do, it's amazing what happens in a greenhouse. Absolutely amazing, but the point and the purpose of the greenhouse is to take that plant at some point in time and rip out, <laughs> rip it out from the dirt around it, preserve the root, the root ball as they call it, and walk it down the mountain and plant it somewhere. So I think what's happening up here in this greenhouse is awesome, and the tension that we experience in listening to a number of you is I just could never have dreamed of a place where I'm loved and I'm accepted, and I can ask the hard questions, but I'm, I'm worried about the rest of the world, and it, it is a greenhouse to us. They use that word, I'm using that word. And so there's life beyond covenant, and it would be remiss, it would be wrong for you not to have an arm connected or a mooring line to the 
to the newspapers and to the world. Let me be provocative here at the beginning, and we'll cuddle you at the end, promise. Or Belinda will. You don't want to cuddle with me. Uh, and, I, and this pro provocation is not Stephen or Belinda. Okay, this isn't activist Stephen or Belinda. This is Francis Schaefer. He blames it on Schaefer. Ah. And you know, <laughs> Schaefer gets enshrined every time you do this conference here. So these are Schaefer's words. Christians have largely shut their spirituality into a small corner of life. Sunday church or their Bible studies. Instead of realizing that the Lordship of Christ is to permeate the whole spectrum of life. My favorite thing about coming up this little hill here, mountain, you guys call it a mountain, is 1,800 feet. That's pretty big. <laughs> is, your, is like your, your tagline, in all things Christ preeminent. So this is like right here, anchored. The lordship of Christ is to permeate the whole spectrum of life. But they often, not you, but the world, Christians, often coast along complacently, uh, serving up such dogmas as you, you can't mix religion and politics. Or you can't legislate morality, or we just need to pray and witness to people. When what they really mean, or what they really meant to say was, uh, we, just, we just don't want to be disturbed. We don't want to be disturbed. You know, I have a lot of friends around the world, and um, the ones that are brown and black, um, when I talk about these things, and we do, Stephen, you know, you have the luxury to sort of close your door and take a break from it all. And these are refugees and immigrants and African-Americans in urban centers, people that are just radically following Jesus. And they say, Stephen, we don't, we don't have that luxury. There's probably some of you here that are worried um, less about missing chapel and getting that scan for Jesus, right? And more about the danger of going down the mountain in a car and getting pulled over because of your color. This stuff that we're talking about, what Schaefer is talking about, is life or death. It's not just a Bible study. <laughs> and especially now in our culture, especially with what's happening in our country, God, the world needs you guys. The world needs you guys to, to grow that plant in the greenhouse and make it as strong as you can. Don't apologize for being up on top of the mountain. Just double down yeah. and say, I want it all. So that when God takes me and uproots me and plants me in Chattanooga or Chicago, Baltimore, Madagascar, um, you can thrive and you can answer some of these questions. So there's more, and in the words of Gandalf to Frodo Baggins, there's more to you than you know. Find it here on the mountain in the greenhouse and let Gandalf lead you to the hinterlands. So, activist Belinda, some of you missed one million thumbprints yesterday. Just a little snippet, a clip of a video. I think it's a minute and 30 seconds. You're going to introduce it. Sure. Made by one of your um, fellow students. Just to catch you up, what you might have missed yesterday. One million thumbprints is a grassroots campaign that stands for grassroots peacemakers. Yes, we have t-shirts. You guys seem surprised. Isn't that awesome? <laughs> I like my t-shirt. Um, 
We uh, stand with women. We do not pity them. We do not see them as uh, objects. We see them as our sisters, blood of our blood, bone of our bone, flesh of our flesh. They live in war zones and we don't. They suffer daily and we may not. The way that we advocate for them, the way that we love them from the guts is to collect thumbprints which many of you gave, by the way, thank you so much. If you don't have like a little green on your thumb yet, you have an opportunity today, tonight at the concert, to donate, no, to give, freely give your thumbprint to One Million Thumbprints. And that thumbprint is like a currency to us. We're able to take it to places of power for people that write policies to protect, to uh, uphold promises that they've made to protect women in war zones. We go to the UN on November 2nd, and we're so close to having 10,000 thumbprints, and Covenant, I need your help. So if you haven't given your thumbprint yet, it's like a petition. You uh, donate your thumbprint, just mash it onto that banner, and that banner will come with me to uh, the UN, and eventually to Capitol Hill. Hopefully, we could even make it to um, a parliament or two to say, your country can give us the help. Your organization can give women the support they need. We had the privilege of partnering with Josh Garrels, who's been a supporter of ours forever. He's been so good to us of um, helping uh, create a song. And uh, Carolyn Bear, are you here, dear? Where are you? There you are. Yay! She, um, I just want you to see some of her handiwork in this video. It'll help explain. is a grassroots campaign that's committed to alleviating the effects of gender-based violence in war zones. It began with one brave woman who asked us to tell the world her story. She told us about how war is being won through the violation of women, and we took it personally. In response, one year ago, we climbed Mount Kilimanjaro to honor the strength and courage, the suffering and the survival of the women to whom the original thumbprints belong. your thumbprint, you are standing in solidarity with these women. Go Josh Garrels. He is, you know, he has three octaves 
And for those of you who are in music and music performance, three octaves with no um, transition in the middle. So you can go all through the three without that click that often comes with going into falsetto. Isn't that awesome? Daryl's just turned away, I think, I don't know, 20, 15, 20 opportunities to sign a label because he wants to re remain independent grassroots. And so what you will experience tonight is raw and messy, and he's as urban as he is uh, folksy. He can, uh, he can rap, but he also does stuff like this. You'll love him. He's the real deal. We know him uh, fairly well. Blynn knows him more than me because she and he have been partnering with her team on these kind of things. I uh, just can't say enough good about him. Um, we've been doing true spirituality, um, Francis Schaeffer's words, what is true spirituality? What does it mean to be a Christian today? What does it mean to be evangelical today? And we're tackling it with three words. So I'm going to put a slide up here that's going to be way too full of text. <laughs> but you have permission to take out your phones, take a picture, because this can become a life study. These are words that you can wrestle with, and you will. They're generative words. They're the kind of words that Jesus talked about. You wrestle with it your whole life. What does it really mean? And so uh, snap a photo. There's homework, but you don't have to ever be graded. You never have to turn anything in, and you can do it after your um, midterms. Uh, here they are. We talked about Hanani. I think most of you were here on the first day. This is that radical availability. This is the extravagance. Do you ever feel like, gosh, I, I, I want to explode? And you feel kind of cooped up on the mountain? Maybe once in a while, not so often, but there's an opportunity to do that with God, right? Radical, extravagant availability. All I have is yours. When we do that, especially for those who are oppressed, when we spend ourselves on behalf of the hungry. This is the, the message of Isaiah 58. God returns the favor. That's the, the radical insight on Monday was when we lay ourselves out before God say, all yours, there's a moment, especially when we go down the mountain, which you will do, and plant your plant somewhere, and you're slogging it out with all sorts of mess. That's mission. And when you do that, God will return the favor. If He does it now, but especially then. And he says in that verse 58, 9, look, when you call and you cry for help, and remember that word cry is not sort of like a whimper. It's tears streaming. It's convulsing, shaking, sobbing tears. God shows up. I'm here. I'm at your service. God says, I'm at your service. You know, I'm from Wisconsin, so we, stay up, we say some funny things up there. One of the things we say is, holy cow. Holy cow. Don't say that in India. Well, you can. I mean, you'd be right in sync. <laughs> All right, Stephen, move on. Splachnitsumai. Okay, we talked about this. Those of you guys who missed Splachnitsumai, you missed a word that you may want to not tattoo on your arm because it would require the whole of your spinal cord down your back. It's so big. Splachnitsumai, why this word and not like the more important word agape, which is love in the Bible. And in Schaefer, when he said the mark of a Christian is love, he was probably thinking about agape. But I am proposing to you that agape, the idea, the word love has lost a lot of its meaning in our culture. This word often translated compassion sometimes pity, which I think is a pretty bad translation because pity is just you there, I'm here, kind of a thing. It just doesn't work. Um, Splachnitsumai is loving from the guts. It's tangible. It shows up 
in the story of the Good Samaritan, where this enemy guy, these are distant groups, right? The Samaritan, the Jew, and it says here, you see, you can read it, then a despised, interesting, despised Samaritan came along. When he saw the man, he felt compassion. Splach mitzumai. Jesus, he was being handled by his disciples constantly because of the crowds. They were his PR team. And he would stop on a dime and he would say, no, I want to talk to the woman who just touched my robe. Or I want to I talk to these people. And often preceding that in the Gospels is, but he had compassion. Or here it says, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion. Loving from your guts, the seed of your affections, that's the kind of love we need in the world today. And sometimes you don't have an answer. Like a friend of ours that couldn't really answer the question about racism down at the bottom of the mountain. And by that, he meant the larger culture, not just Chattanooga. I don't know about Chattanooga, which is a nice town, I'm sure. Um, sometimes you just don't have an answer. You know what? I'm just going to sit with you in this. I'm going to offer compassion with silence and walk with this and, and keep the conversation alive. Splach Nitsumai. The third one here, I'm not going to go deeply into it, but if you ask any New Testament scholar, you can ask your friends in the biblical studies Biblical uh, emphasis majors here. One of the most important words in the whole of the New Testament is this word, dikaiosune. Dikaiosune shows up in the words of Jesus when he says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for dikaiosune. The dikaiosune of God in Paul, he says, is revealed from faith to faith. Your dikaiosune has to exceed the, the dikaiosune of the, of the Pharisees. So it often gets translated righteousness, and that is a part of the word, right? It's like, okay, I need to be virtuous, righteous, peer before God. It's about a relationship with God. Justification is often dikaiosune, salvation by grace. But then there's another dimension to it, which is dikaiosune on a horizontal plane, which is how am I treating my brother, my sister in our culture today? How am I treating my enemy so dikaiosune means justification, right? It's used for salvation, but it also means justice. And there's a beautiful part of the word that moves our thinking in the heart beyond transaction to transformation, beyond a one-off to a relationship. And too often in faith in Christianity, it's like, well, that's when I was saved, a one-time thing. And God is saying, whoa, whoa, wait a minute. I'm working, we're working out our salvation with fear and trembling. And it's, it's about a relationship. Same is true for justice. When you think about your brother, your sister, um, it's not just what we can do for them. It's actually being rightly related. So dikaiosune, you can spend a lifetime on that. Uh, these three words, I think, would make Schaefer proud um, when we think about true spirituality. We, wanna, we, wanted to, we were thinking about going deeper into dikaiosune, but we got a few minutes. We want to do something a little bit different as we've been praying about the greenhouse on top of the mountain. So to do that, I want Belinda to introduce Tosha. Okay, who wouldn't want to climb the tallest freestanding mountain in the world with this guy? <laughs> what an amazing man. This is Tosha. Um, it takes 38,000 680 steps to climb Kilimanjaro. 
from the base to the summit. And I am here to tell you firsthand that you have to climb every step one at a time. There are no elevators, there are no stairs, there's no one that's going to pull you up. You have to do each one, and it has to be from you. I had the privilege of gathering a team. We called it the One Million Thumbprints Climb Team, so that we could stand, if at all possible, at the top of Mount Kilimanjaro and hold up these banners that you guys are filling thumbprints with. And even though there wasn't a government at the top of this mountain, even though there wasn't a power structure at the top of this mountain, there was the world in the valley below. And we shouted as loudly as we could as we waved these banners and said, peace to the world, goodwill towards women. May the violence end for the sake of the glory of God. And thank God going up that mountain because it truly was, and I say this with no irony, the hardest thing I've ever done. And all 14 of my climb members agree. We had guides like Tosha to help us get up there. We had women that we loved that had given their thumbprints to help give us the motivation our bodies conspired against us. Natural laws like gravity, altitude, oxygen deprivation conspired against us. The, the odds conspired against us. Han Solo would be proud. We said frequently, do not tell me the odds. 38% <laughs> of people that attempt to climb Kilimanjaro on the route that we were on make it. We had 14 of us. And we really wanted to make it. Because, uh, because honestly, the odds were stacked against us, truly, there were moments that I was very worried about not only myself, but worried about each one of my climb members. We were a diverse group, all ages. 65 was our oldest climber, and 22 was our youngest climber. Though I had a 14-year-old that really wanted to come with us. My gutsy girl. Uh, so Tosha had this way of saying things to us, oxygen deprived, hungry, whatever, salt deprived, whatever we were. He could be soft and kind to get our attention, and then he could say just the hardest things that we needed to hear, and we would listen. So when Leia, who is uh, we called her small but mighty. You know anybody small but mighty? <laughs> she was five foot two and full of feist all the way down to her toes. When she, on the third day of our climb, started to just, her nose just started to drip because of the sinus pressure, because of the different allergens that were in the air, because of the thin oxygen. When we had our acclimatization day, which means you go up just high enough before you try to summit, that it gives a signal to your body that you're about to do something that's not supposed to be done. <laughs> you were going higher, I know you're challenged, but get ready. So we climbed uh, with oxygen tanks to practice, putting them in, wearing them, 
just in case we needed them. When Leah put the, the hose uh, in her nose, she just started to bleed. Her nose just started to bleed and snot, and she started to cry. So I know the mental image isn't pretty, but it's true. And there are, it's weird the things that become precious to you the third day of a climb. And you only have two more to go. Um, Kleenex, toilet paper, wet wipes, cheese whiz. Those things become very precious to you. Oh, Skittles and Skittles too. So she had used every available tissue she could. And now, between you and me, she was using clean underwear <laughs> to keep the snot. She was tired, and she was ready to quit. And she sat, she would take 100 steps, and she would sit down, and she would cry. And she would get up, and she would take another 100 steps, sit down, and cry. And we were worried, and so was Tosha until she sat down on a rock and Tosha sat with her and said, Leah, do you want me to sit and cry with you? And Leah smiled because she knew Tosha by this time and said, no. Put his hand on her back and he said, Leah, do you know what my name means? Now by this time the guides, they, they, they told us riddles to see if we were functioning up here. She thought it was a riddle. So she said, no, I don't know what your name means, and I don't want to guess. <laughs> he said, Leah, my name means enough. I am with you. I've summited this mountain over 300 times. I'm with you. You have enough. And you are enough. Uh, a couple years ago, this is now actually five years ago, our son Caleb was playing in the Christmas concert for his school. So this is eighth grade, and it's kind of cliche. All the parents come out, and there's the kid playing in the band. And let me give you a taste. So you get the feel, right? So we're the parents. <laughs> Don't worry. Spare the pain. But, you know, you're the parent, you're the dad, and this concert's the best thing in the world. Caleb's playing the drums. He's got a bow tie on. Bow, somewhere. He's wearing a bow tie. And we gets done with the concert. I'm bending over people to video clips. I took that clip, and we get home, and Caleb <clears throat> walks upstairs past my office to his bedroom, and I says, Caleb, so awesome. You did such an awesome guy. You, know, you, you did such a great job. And he's like, Dad, eyes downcast. I screwed up. I totally let my friends down. I was like, what do you mean? He said, well, there's this one part where I came in too soon, and then I missed this other part, and it was just awful, and I just feel terrible, and I didn't want people to see my face. And I said, Caleb, you know, and I, I, I'm a drummer. I played drums for years. So I said, Caleb, you know, I, I, never, I see what you mean, but I didn't, I didn't hear that. And, you know, I'm a drummer, so if I didn't hear it, I don't know if anybody really heard that. No, Dad, really, honestly, it was so bad. It was a train wreck. And I said, well, Caleb, here's the thing. I took a video of it. Can you just watch it? He's like, Dad, the last thing I want to do is relive this thing. <laughs> and um, it's, it's 11.35. we got to go. I'm sorry. 
Two more minutes. You guys okay? It was my fault. Sorry. I'm really sensitive to the time because you guys like class starts at 11:45, right? All right, so let me jump back in. This is a great story. You're going to love it. If there's anything to remember in our whole week this week, it'll probably be this story. Honestly. So I said, Caleb, just do it for me. Just listen to it. And if you get into it and it's so bad, just stop it. Fine. I trust you. We'll just move on. We'll forget about it. So he grabs my phone and he goes down to the end of the hallway, his bedroom. He closes the door and I can hear it playing, that music. And I'm thinking, hmm, okay, silence. And then I hear it playing again. Bit more silence. Door opens. He walks down the hall, comes in. His face is alive. Eyes directly locked on mine. Dad, it was, it was good. I didn't even hear those mistakes. I said, Caleb, I told you. I told you it was awesome. And he took it. He said, Dad, can, I, can you send me the clip? I said, here, take my phone. Just cut whatever you want. So he went back to his room and... Then he was going to, but he's got an Instagram account. He, he, he's a performer, so he puts up music and this sort of thing. <clears throat> and I went back to my office. And I was like, oh, awesome. I had a good dad moment, you know? I did something right for a change. <laughs> I was home, you know, I wasn't traveling. And I sat down, and it hit me like a freight train. Stephen, you do this to yourself every day. You go through your day, and you, you, you tally the little mistakes. And you think that that's how I see you, God. That I'm evaluating you by your mistakes. That you're not good enough. Linda's language from the mountain. And you know what, Stephen? I don't see I don't see them. This is what I see. The video of God is without mistakes. I see your triumphs. I see what you're doing so well. I see the heart behind what you're trying to do. So we can talk about the biblical words, true spirituality. We can talk about all that stuff we have. But if we can't deal with this question that a songwriter wrote years ago, if I could only be good enough, beautiful song, probably predating your time, a lot of more set. if I could only be good. And my guess is with all that you've got going on and the performance pressure on you every day from grades to extracurricular to, to, to sports, you're asking this question over and over again, am I good enough? God says, you know what? God says this, you did not choose me, I chose you. I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit. That choosing is based on your belonging to him. And it has nothing to do with those little mishaps and those mistakes, even the big ones. They're gone, they're erased. You're good enough because God is good enough and he's with you. Don't forget that message. And think about Caleb who changed from downcast to super happy because he saw what I would call, what I now call the video of God, not his own. Guys, it's been awesome to be with you. Belinda's here tonight at the concert, so you get more time with her. I hope they can see some more of you today, but we um, hope to come back. It's been awesome.